Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And so Naomi's trying to figure out the best thing to do, right? And she's being very practical. She's old enough. Nobody's going to want to marry her. She's, you know, sounds like beyond childbearing age. She had her sons, and she's kind of at the mercy of what God will do for her. And she's trying to do her best for her daughters-in-law, right? So what, what would be the big deal if they go back with Naomi back to where they came from in Ephraim, where Ephraim's tribe settled? Would their life be much different? That food, right? And so God still is looking out for his people. And so the famine is over back in the promised land. And so they're going back. But still, Naomi's still going to be a widow. She's going to be back in, you know, where they came from in the promised land. But she would have family. And she would have that to rely on. And that's probably the one advantage she's going to have. But what about these two Moabite daughters-in-law she has? People going to be super excited that they came back? No, because they don't like them, right? They are foreigners, and not only are they foreigners, they're Moabites, and they they don't like each other. They hate each other. And so Naomi's being practical and saying, look, you're young. You can still go marry. Go follow. Go back to your families and follow your gods and go about your lives. And I'm sorry this didn't work out, but that's probably the best thing. And so one of those daughters-in-law, Orpah, does that. But what does Ruth do? It says Ruth clung to Naomi, right? And, and, and Naomi does this good job of explaining, hey, even if God gave me a husband today, and even if I had sons today, are you going to wait 18 years for them to grow up and be men? And then, you know, you're, you're going to be old like me by then, right? And so, but, but, but Ruth takes, you know, her marriage to, you know, it was Malan who was who we sh- she was married to. She takes that seriously, right? And you have to think that hopefully, even though, you know, Elimelech and Naomi and Malan and Chilean didn't do all of the things right, it sounds to me when I read this that at least they practiced some of the godly things that God had taught them. Because, you know, how do you think Ruth was raised in the land of Moab? Idols. Idols, right? She didn't know really who God was, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She knew Baal and Ashtaroth and all those gods. And that's probably who she was worshipped and was taught as a child growing up. But then she married into this family, right? And this family adopted her. And, and you know, what I get from this is that Ruth knew what that meant to be adopted into a Hebrew family. And so she probably followed their faith and their traditions. And it doesn't really outline that. But, but where else does this love for her mother-in-law come from? Knowing that if she stays with Naomi, her life is going to be hard. It is not going to be easy. Because in many ways, the culture, you know, 
the societal norms in Moab aren't that much different than in the promised land. Naomi is still going to be a widow, and Ruth is still a widow, and they still are going to have to fend for themselves and do their only things. But through living with her husband, Malon, she must have learned who, who God was. And what, and what did she do with that when she learned that? I, I think she internalized. She became adopted into that family. She knew and honored God, right? And what's one, what's, what's one thing that she says in here that helps us understand that she truly knows who God is and believes in God and trusts in God? She says, your God will be my God, right? And I think she'd already made that decision ahead of time. But at the end here, she says, um, you know, may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. She's swearing before God. She knows who God is, right? And she's saying, I'm doing this, and to let you know that I am serious, I am saying that I hope the Lord punishes me severely if I don't stay with you until, you know, you're dead or I'm dead, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's a really great picture of that unfailing love where someone who's a foreigner gets taken into a family and is shown love and taught the right ways, and they internalize that and they believe that, and they start living their life that way, even though it means very hard times. And she likely will, you know, live hand to mouth literally for the rest of her life if she's going to follow Naomi back. And that's just that, that image, too, that we should have of what God has done for us, right? Because we were adopted into God's family. And we should love God that way. We should recognize what God has done for us. We should take that into making motivation for us for telling God, I know, you know, wherever you're going to lead me, whatever your will is, I'm going to follow that. And it may be very hard, but I'm not going to leave you until I die. It was, right? And she knows, I think, that the other gods she was brought up to worship are false gods. And now she knows who the one true living God is, and she wants to worship and follow him, even though it's going to be a very tough thing. And, and so... Ruth stays with Naomi, and they, they travel back, and so they go back to where Elimelech and Naomi were originally. And so, you know, probably small town, one of those things. Bethlehem? Okay. So they go back. And when they get there, what, how do you think the, the people that used to know them, what do you think their reaction was? Because when they left, they were, you know, a family of the community, you know, they were married, they had sons, and now they come back. And what do you, what do you think the small talk in town was? Right, oh, well, here she is. Oh, and she's a widow. Wow, what did she do that God took her husband from her? Oh, and, and her sons are dead too, and oh, and it looks like her Right, right? And, and there's probably a lot of I told you so's, right? Because you would have to think when they were getting ready to go that some of their other family members and people in the community are saying, you're not going to go to Moab, are you? You're not really thinking of picking up and, and leaving us, are you? And even though it's bad, if God's going to look out for us, he's going to bring us food, right? So there's not a lot of, of support and things there. And so God does have, um, you know, God knows these things happen, right? God is very familiar. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that there will be widows and orphans, right? So how does God take care of widows and orphans? In, it's in part of the Mosaic Law. 
Has anybody here ever gleaned a field? So gleaning, and it's, um, if, if you'll turn back to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. This is one of the sundry laws. It's how God cares for all of his people. Leviticus chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. I'm sorry, it's 19. I'm not reading very well. Leviticus 19, like 1, 9. And so this is, this is part of the Pentateuch, and this is where God has given laws to look out for his people. So Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy, for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This is how God takes care of people who really don't have a means to take care of themselves. They don't have the ability to own land and property, right? And that's widows and orphans in this case. Um, and so gleaning is really when harvesters go through, even today, mechanical harvesters, you know, everything that goes in the combine, you're going to lose grain out the back, right? If you've ever watched potato harvesters and stuff, I mean, stuff just kind of goes everywhere, right? So what God instructed his people, even back in the day when they harvested by hand, they were not supposed to harvest the edges and the corners of their fields, and you could go through once and take what God had given you, and you leave the rest. And then widows and orphans and destitute people, travelers, foreigners, would come into that field, and they could pick up whatever was left. And that was usually enough for them to kind of get by. And so... This is a way that God helps to supply what Naomi and Ruth need. It, it was God's welfare system, right? Exactly, right? And so gleaning wasn't, you know, it was work because it wasn't easy, right? You have to go out there. If you're gleaning grain from a grain field, you're very likely out there picking up individual heads or pieces, right? You're going to go pick up the little pieces and parts. And if you're gleaning a vineyard, it's all the grapes that fell on the ground or the little ones that weren't quite all the way developed, right? And, and it's not maybe your favorite thing to help you survive. We, uh, when we got to go to Hawaii, we, we toured a uh, botanical garden, and the guy who did the tour had this phrase that has stuck with me that was interesting. Is he would pick a plant or something, and he would call it famine food, and he described it as being digestible but not delectable. <laughs> right? You can live on this, but it doesn't taste very good, but you're going to make it, right? This is like, you know, how you make it. This is how God helped those people make it, right? God loves us. God provides, right? And there's work involved, and you have to go out and do it. Nobody's going to do it for you, but if you're willing to do that, you can, you can help save yourself. Um, and, and something that's interesting here, too, is when Naomi goes back, and she's talking to the people, and they know who she is, and they're calling her by name, she tells them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. And that's because Naomi is really sad and unhappy about what has happened in her life. And so she's saying, I'm not the same person. All these things have happened to me, so don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Right? And that's not necessarily a good attitude, but Naomi doesn't give up. And so Ruth knows that um, they're going to have to go out and and do some gleaning. That's, how, that's the only opportunity they have to feed themselves. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. So Ruth chapter 2, 
1 through 12. And we'll see, you know, God's faithful in his mercy for us. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the the Moabites said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded, my, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And so part of what we see here is, is God's sovereignty, where Naomi and Ruth know that Ruth needs to go out and glean if they're going to have something to eat, right? And so she goes out, and she just happens to go to a field of a person who, you know, a man who is a family member of Elimelech, right? That's God's sovereignty. Think of all the fields that are there. Think of all the places that Ruth could have gone, but she chose this one because God's leading her to the field of Boaz, right? And when she gets there, what does she do? She works hard all day, right? Because Boaz comes and says, hey, who's this in my field that I don't know? Who's this foreign woman? And they tell her, and he's heard the good things that she's done, right? She does, because, right, and, and what Cheryl says is she asks to go after the reapers. She knows what gleaning is, right? She doesn't get to go out in the middle of the field with, right, after the reapers. She's, right. Oh. But she's, she's following the rules, right? And what she has done in honoring God and honoring her mother-in-law, Naomi, people have heard about, right? And Boaz has heard about it. And so how does Boaz react to that? He shows her favor, right? He, he does the godly thing, right? He knows that she is a foreigner. As a, as a Moabite, you know, some people would have said, well, you don't belong here, and you don't even get to glean these fields. You go on your way. But he knows who she is, and who she's following now, right? She's following God, and she's being respectful of what she is supposed to do, and she's working hard. And so Boaz does the godly thing. He, he extends that faithful love that God, he knows God has given to him. And so he gives all these instructions. He goes and tells her, he says, look, 
you stay in my field and you glean after my maids and when you're thirsty you go get yourself a drink of water right that was a big deal because that water was gathered by you know was brought by his servants for his people he's basically saying you are part of my family now right so boaz again because he's part of elimelech's family is honoring ruth's marriage to you know who knows it may be his fifth cousin twice removed but he's he knows and understands his responsibility and he's taking care of that right and and he's telling her i'm going to protect you right so he's giving her all those things that she needs right he's helping provide food he's giving protection he's doing all these things as he should right you know when god tells us to love your neighbor that's really what we're talking about is is he sees someone who's struggling who's in a in a predicament in life and he is helping her do the things and she's doing what she's supposed to do and, and boaz is doing what it is that he's supposed to be doing, right? And, and he knows that that's a responsibility of his, and he's taking that on um, and not, not looking at it from a worldly perspective but from a godly perspective, right? So he's, he's just mirroring that love uh, that God has for us and that Naomi or that Ruth showed her mother-in-law, Naomi, and so he's taking care of her. And, you know, so at the end of the day, Naomi go, or Ruth goes back and talks to Naomi and tells Naomi whose field she gleaned from, right? And so Naomi starts to see maybe this is how God is providing herself and her daughter-in-law a way for a better life, right? And so in the circumstances, if you go back into Deuteronomy and you look, there's a, a section in chapter 25 that talks about the responsibility of families to carry on the family name, right? So when when the tribes got to the promised land, God had divided out all of the promised land for tribes, right? And within that tribe, each person, each man, received a certain plot of land. And it was very important because this is the land that God had given them, that that land stays in that family. Well, for Naomi and for Ruth, that land that belonged to Elimelech cannot be passed on, right? Because... Women can't own the land. And so does anybody know, I mean, what was the process that God set up for this, for, for names, you know, for family names to be carried on and, and then that name, that ownership of that land would carry on in that tribe? How did God set that up? Yes, yes. And so if, if, a, if a woman's husband died and he had brothers, it was the duty of one of those brothers to take his sister's wife as his wife so she if if she didn't have sons depends on like where it happens in your life right but if they don't have if your husband dies and you don't have sons it is the responsibility of a brother if you have a brother to take your sister-in-law as your wife so she can bear children and hopefully have a son that she can then pass this down to so that line doesn't get broken so that the tribes are preserved in the promised land um, and so if there are no brothers and there are no sons it then falls on what they would call a kinsman right and, and hopefully you've all heard of the, the phrase a kinsman redeemer so what what does it mean if, if you're kin to someone what does that mean you're a relative right so a kinsman is someone you are related to, and it may be fairly far down the line, right? So Boaz is a kinsman of Elimelech, right? But it goes in a very structured order. So you have to be the closest 
kinsmen to redeem that land, right? And, and to take on the responsibility of helping that woman have a son so that that can be passed on. So in this case, there's another kinsman who is closer in line for that responsibility than Boaz, right? Boaz knows this. Um, and, and Naomi knows this. But Naomi thinks that this may be the way that God is going to help her and Ruth survive and have a better life. So Naomi explains to Ruth the proper way for her to go and let Boaz know that she wants to be his wife. And so um, we don't have time to read through all that, but Naomi does or Ruth does exactly what Naomi tells her to do. And she goes, and Boaz recognizes that um, this younger woman has said, I want to be your wife. And, and he accepts that, but he knows there's someone else. He, he cannot just marry her and buy the land and take that over. He has to follow the rules, right? And Boaz is a godly man. And so business in those days many times was taken care of at the city gate. So Boaz goes to the city gate, and he finds this kinsman who's closer in line than he is and lets this person know, you know, and, and whether or not this person realized that, but he says, hey, you know, there's, you know, Naomi came back. She has this daughter-in-law. There's no one who can redeem the land, you know. She, you know they don't, there's no husband, there's no son. And so you're next in line. Would you like to buy this land, right? And it wasn't given free. That person had to pay for the land. And so this, and it doesn't give the, the, the relative's name, the kinsman's name. And he's like, yeah, I would like to have that property. I would like that to be in my family. And then Boaz says, okay, well, you know, what goes along with that is Malan was married to Ruth. So you have to take Ruth the Moabitess as your wife. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know that I want to do that. Right? And, and one of the um, things I'd read was that the reason, you know, part of the reason he doesn't want to, you know, probably is because she's from Moab. But the other is that it dilutes his holdings because if he marries her, he's going to have, he's going to have more kids, right? And, and probably more male children. And so all of his land and belongings gets divided out more than what it is for right now, right? So you think about it. If he has three sons... Um, that are married, right? And then he marries this woman and has two more sons. Now there's five sons that all his stuff gets divided up. And he doesn't want to do that. So when he finds out that there's, you know, a wife that comes with this property, he's like, I'm going to pass. So we're going to pick up, this is in uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 9. So Ruth 4, verse 9 um, and we're at the point where Boaz is now going to go through the rest of the transaction so that he gets the property and he's going to marry Ruth. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malan. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabites, the, the widow of Malan to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth 
in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar broke, who Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, and for your daughter-in-law who loves you, and better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so the, the end of this story is another, you know, it's just an amazing thing where we see someone who loved God and was willing to sacrifice and do what she was supposed to do, even though she was a foreigner and life was going to be hard, how through God's love and mercy and sovereignty ends up finding a husband and getting married and she has children and she is part of the line of Christ, right? You know, Ruth is part of that, right? Because she ends up, you know, he's, Ruth is David's great, you know, Ruth is David's grandma. So just, you know, as we see this, this story play out um, and, and the different things that happen, right? It's, 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 Naomi and Ruth and Boaz doing the things that God wants them to do and, and watching over them and providing for them in that way, right? And, and God does the same thing for us. You know, we, we look at the, the different things that, um, that we encounter in life and we always have choices to make, right? And, and Orpah could have gone with Naomi, but she chose not to. She went to go back to her old ways and worshiping the old gods and doing whatever she did. But Ruth, who decided to follow her mother-in-law and, and honor God and trust in God that God would take care of her, even though it might be a hard life, she, she went through and followed through with that. And so I, I think there are, um, there, there are a lot of really good things we can take from you know, the book of Ruth. So it's, what, what, what things come to your mind after we, we go through this story again? What, how do you see God working? What do you think lessons are we could take from this? Jesus is our Redeemer, right? And I think part of how God set up the whole kinsman-redeemer idea and how that worked is of another foretelling of Christ, right? And there, you know, that's what the Passover was for. But it wasn't just the Passover. It's also this kinsman-redeemer, right? And, and Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, he, he is our Redeemer and our Savior who comes and rescues us from you know, all of the bad things that we could be doing in our life, he pays for our sin, works as our redeemer. That's just another way to look at that. What, what else? Exactly, right? And so God uses everybody for his work. So, and you don't have to start out as a believer, right? God uses believers and unbelievers. But here's someone that God took that most of, you know, until she was married to Boaz and had a child, when she came back, most of the Israelites would have looked down on Naomi and Ruth as they don't have a husband and they don't have, you know, they have no means to support themselves and they're just a drain on society and all that. But God takes these people who are in such dire straits and through his mercy and love takes them to a place of honor, right? And God does the same thing for us. 
you know. We were children of wrath before we were saved. We deserved God's wrath, you know. And we still do, except that Christ has paid for our sins, right? He's our propitiation is the big word for that. He is the sacrifice for us. He paid for the wrath. He felt all of the pain and suffering for the sin that we commit. We don't have to deal with that because Christ, our Redeemer, has dealt with that. Exactly. And, and Right. And, and so what Carol's talking about is both Rahab and Ruth, is they're foreigners who recognize who God was, followed God, did the right thing. And God has brought them into the family, right? Which the Jewish people, because they're not from them and they're not, you know, from Jewish families, but yet God brings them in, and, and they're women. God uses women in many ways, right? And we've, we've talked about that some. I don't, you know, in our small group, we went through um, making the case for Christ. Um, one of the things that study brought out was, you know, proving the resurrection, because women and the way society was, they couldn't be witnesses. You know, they weren't relied on as, as someone reliable to tell the truth. So who finds that the tomb is empty? Who are women? Yeah. God uses women as witnesses for the resurrection. Well, if you think through that in the time, if you really wanted people to believe you, who would you have your witness be? A, a rabbi, a Pharisee, someone who has standing in the community, right? We want this big, powerful man who everybody respects to say, yes, Christ rose from the dead. But instead, God says, take these women who are following this, you know, new way and they're women, and they're the ones who are, right? So it doesn't make logical sense that women would be used as witnesses to justify the resurrection of Christ. That's what makes it more believable, is someone who's unbelievable, right? I mean, so if God, right? Because God could set things up any way he wants, right? But God chose women as that way. And so in this way, um, God is using women again to show faithfulness and honor and duty in doing what they're supposed to do. Exactly, right? And there, and there are many places in the Bible where God arranges the circumstances so that the characters in the story have no other choice but to go back, right? Really, what were Naomi and, you know, Ruth had a choice. Naomi really doesn't have, she's going to have to go back, right? And God helps that along by the famine's ending back in Bethlehem, right? And now... She needs to go back, cause, and that's where her kinsmen are, right? So God sets all these circumstances up, right? And I, I think one of the things I, you know, was reminded of this is even though we make bad decisions, right? What are some of the bad decisions that were made in the beginning of this story? They left Bethlehem in the first place. They married foreign women, right? They, they're making bad choices, right? They know better, yet they make these choices. But God takes those bad choices and turns this into a very good lesson for us, right? So we need to remember that. Try as we might, we're going to make bad choices, right? But if we, if we cling to God, if we go back to God, if we turn back to him and honor him and love him, he'll lead us back out of that box canyon, right? You may think you're where you're never going to get out, but if you honor and love God, God will bring you back out, and he will lead you back sometimes to a much, much better place. Not an easy road all the time, but he will do that for you, just like he did for Naomi, and just like he did for Ruth. He will, if you will follow him, he will lead you back out. Right, and, and sometimes, and, and we can follow God, 
But we can do it like a stubborn mule, can't we? And just be, you know, not have a, doing what you're supposed to do, but having a really lousy attitude about it. But just, I think, in the end, and part of that is, you know, how did Naomi get through a lot of this? She had Ruth, right? And we all have those Ruths in our lives, those encouraging, believing friends who even when things are lousy, and we know we're going we're gonna to go do the right thing, but we're not happy about it, is the, that friend is going to come up beside you and go, come on now, this is what we got to do. We know this is the right thing. This is hard, right? This is going to hurt and be painful. But in the end, we have to, you know, if we're going to love God, if we're, if we're Christians and we're claiming that and we're saying, you know, like James tells us, let, you know, let it all be joy, these trials, well, let's do this. Let's do it the right way, right? And sometimes that's what we need. We all, we all have bad days and, and we all have trying circumstances where things are very difficult and we don't see a way out. But hopefully, you know, and God does love us, so he's going to give us those people who are going to show us, you know, this is what God's doing in your life. God does. He always has a better plan. He, he knows the very best thing for us. And sometimes it's some pretty lousy-tasting medicine. But if we'll take it, we can get, we can get through it, right? And even, even if, um, you know, even if we don't ever quite get over that, what do we know as soon as our life on this world is we're in his presence right because some of us are going to have some things happen in our lives and we're going to have to deal with that from now until jesus takes us home but that's god's plan for us and he'll he'll help us take care of it yep exactly and part of that is how god shows people that he is a sovereign god that he is all-powerful because he can take whoever he wants to do whatever he wants Right? And that's part of who God is. And it's, it's awesome that he does that. Because as badly broken as we think we are, we're never so badly broken that God can't take us and use us for his will and his purpose, if we're willing to do that. Right? And all four of those women were willing to serve him at, you know, at, at peril and risk. And, and, and Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and, and end it there and close in prayer.